G'day. G'day. Where's the cheese? Uh, Any Aussies would get that one. But anyway, g'day, g'day, g'day. Welcome to another Guitar Wank podcast. We are at number 78 and we're uh, continuing on exactly from last week. My name is Troy McCubbin and uh, thank you for joining us again. If this is your very first podcast that you're listening to of Guitar Wank, what are you doing? Stop it. Just don't stop. Stop. Don't listen anymore. Go back and listen to all the other 77, then come back to 78, because you, you're you not going to get anything. We're, we're talking far too advanced for you to just jump in where you are now. You really have to go back to number one. Like, seriously, I'm just, I'm doing you a favor. I don't want you to get through this whole podcast and be like, oh my God, I don't understand anything they are saying because they are so advanced in what they're talking about, I need to go back to episode number one and listen to Guitar Wank episode number one and go through all the podcasts until I catch up. Then we understand the lingo and the discussions that are happening on this podcast. Just a warning, just letting you know, if you're a newbie, all those other listeners, you're, you're up to date. You know what's going on. You get it. You understand Guitar Wank podcast. You understand what Bruce and Scott is saying. You understand the roles in the game, and you can sit back and relax. And that's what we're going to do this week, ladies and gentlemen, with uh, Dweezil. We want to thank all our sponsors, Dear Dario, Jimmy Dunlop, Wireworld Mower, uh, Pro Audio Cables, My Music Masterclass. If you want videos of Scott and Bruce, because you're sick of just hearing their voices and you want to put a guitar and a face to who they are, MyMusicMasterclass.com. Go there, check it out. There's some great stuff. Uh, Sennheiser microphones, exotic guitars and pedals. No, exotic. Well, I think they are making. Are they making guitars now? I don't know. They tell me nothing. Sir, guitars and amps, and uh, I think that's it. Oh, AEA ribbon microphones. Thank you guys. Really appreciate the support. All right, let's get into it. I hope you guys had a fantastic week. I love the emails we've been getting, and thank you so much for all the donations. Um, this last week. I don't know what I said the week before, but oh my God. You don't want to donate, buy a Guitar Wank mug or a t-shirt and uh, and you'll get a pick and a bunch of other stuff. Guitarwank.com. Send us an email, guitarwank at gmail.com. Or just spread the word or post stuff on social media or just, just piss us off. Do something. Don't be neutral. Have a voice. Okay, with that said, let's shut up and move on with the show. Mr. Bruce Foreman, Mr. Scotty Henderson, and our special guest, Dweezil Zapper. Uh, let's continue with the show. What have we got in store for the listeners this week?
Mm-hmm. You know, to me, I don't like it. You right, know, but right, other people right, might right. think it's great. It makes but, totally sense. It you know? makes total sense because, like you know, we were talking about you can't trust yourself. Chick Corea said to me one time. He said um, the same kind of thing. He just said it in a different way. He just sort of said when I I can't remember how he worded it. It was really interesting. He was he was sort of like I'm in character when I'm on stage. I'm an actor, right? So I'm in character. So. Everything I do on stage, I'm a badass. In other words, I'm playing the role of a badass on stage. I can do no wrong. Yeah. Right? So because he's in the role, like, you know, he doesn't want to be unconfident. He doesn't yeah. want to be scared to touch the, oh, yeah. that, might be, that might sound bad, or I better not do this, that might sound bad. So he's in this role of basically Clint Eastwood or fucking yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger when he's yeah. up there. And, and, and then when you get off stage, you're back to yourself, your critical self and your wimpy self that goes, oh, I'm, I can't play worth a shit, you know, right? <laughs> but, but anyway, when, when you listen back to yourself when you were in this role of like, I'm a badass, you know, and, and even if you're up there thinking that everything is great because you're training yourself to say, look, I want to have confidence up there. I want to be think that I'm the greatest musician in the world just for that while that I'm on stage and I want to really be confident about what I play. Of course, doesn't mean that you're going to play good. It, yeah. just, it just means that you want to think that you're well, going to play good. It, it, does, it, it does help. I mean, if, if you're telling sure yourself... it helps. You're telling yourself to be confident. Yeah, you're telling yourself yeah. you can do it. And yeah. I mean, it's like, that's definitely better than saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but your expectation, yeah. you know, especially if you're listening to it right after the concert. Yeah. That's the worst time. Especially <laughs> your, your expectations of what you're hearing are, are really fi- as much filtering what you're hearing as when you were playing it was filtering it what you're playing. You know, like, and if you give it time, and you, and you know what I mean, you get away from yeah, it. Sometimes I, I, the perspective I, will change. I, I well, think it will. The element of yeah. I think it will, but if, you, if yeah. you played something that was technically happening. Would that be good? From your oh, from sure. your mind from from your from your you know <laughs> from your perspective, chances are, it's not going to impress you musically. You yeah, got a, you got a good point there. You know, I mean, it's just like you know, if you're playing gymnastics, okay, you got gymnastics. It's not necessarily ballet. Yeah, as I mean, the point that I'm trying to get to is to do, uh, to do more with less. You know, and and but still have the. The uh, have it be more about the the character of the sound, the dynamics, the the phrasing, and less about you know how many notes or whatever. And and so that's just I guess a whole uh, element that we all get to. Different people find their sense of maturity in their playing at different uh, places. Totally. Some totally. people find some it. Never find it. Yeah. Some people. No, no. Some people are just ridiculous <laughs> chopsters their whole life and. You know, and, and let's face it, it feels great, man. I mean, if you got a lot of chops and you just let it fly, it's like riding a motorcycle too fast or flying, you know, I imagine like flying a glider yeah. or something. I mean, there's this incredible high in just soaring through the music at that ridiculous speed, you know what I mean? And yeah. to be able to fly on the instrument, it's just, it's a high. And, you know, and a lot of people just get stuck in that. Yeah. aspect of it and um 
it also gets people off, not just guitar players. You know, people are like really amazed. It's it's you're expressing something that's but truly it does, joyous. It is limited though. Like you know, when uh, that's the thing is like uh, you don't realize it in the moment necessarily. But there are some people that just hit you over the head with so many notes right. that it's impressive for all of ten seconds, and then you're like, uh, this needs to stop. That's kind of how I feel about it. It you know? to sound and, like the circus. Yeah, in I general, heard it, and now I'll. Next year, I'll and there are guys who can yeah. really take yeah. you on an incredible journey with it too. But yeah. I, always, I kind of liken it to a machine gun. You yeah. know, it's like, or just a gun. If I went into a bank and shot a gun in the air, I'd have everybody's attention. Yeah, but you, you know, don't they, need they, to they, do they, it they, like with seventeen right, 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 shots. Right, <laughs> right, and I mean, but basically, once I shoot that gun, everybody knows I've got a gun. Yeah. And it's kind of like when you play fast. As soon as yeah. you play a little bit of fast, everybody's good. You got their attention. Mm -hmm. Okay, we know this guy has got it. Mm -hmm. Now it's just like the gun. Who are you going to shoot with it? You know, <laughs> that, and, and, and so, if you just keep shooting the gun in the air, yeah. people just start paying. You know, they go, oh, he and comes in here every day and yeah. does that. Don't pay attention <laughs> to it. Yeah, him. and that, that makes perfect sense. But my the, the challenge for me now is like all the stuff I skipped over growing up. You know, I don't know much about voice leading or, or the theory of stuff. You know, uh, I, I just kind of developed a, a sense of things that I like, but I keep wanting to know more about, yeah. like, how to, to, to be better at basically telling a story and using the different colors and all that, that, that stuff. But, you know, if you take the speed out of it, you know, now you have to make really brilliant decisions about... The, they are uh, a lot more exposed. The tone. <laughs> well, that's, that's why Jeff Beck is Jeff Beck. Yeah. That's why he makes the big bucks. Because yeah. he's one of the few rock guitarists who exposes himself to that degree. Yeah. Where, where, I mean, every single nuance of everything he does is mega important because he plays so little. Yeah. And so you pay more attention to every single detail that he does because he does mm -hmm. very little. Right. So it's all yeah. exposed out there, and fortunately the guy's great, so yeah. usually what he does is badass. So you listen yeah. to it and you go, wow, how come I don't sound like that when I play that slow? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Because it takes so much creativity and so much of your heart to be yeah. able to expose yourself to that degree. That's why you know, Bruce will get mad at me again. But <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be mad at me. But, but for me... Playing a solo where I'm playing in time and playing eighth notes is a lot easier for me than making up a melody that's really melodic and and leaving lots of space and coming up with a motif that builds through chord changes is so much harder to me than just blowing eighth notes eighth notes through Absolutely. the changes. Absolutely, I I agree. I would agree with that. Well, and on certain levels, I mean, on the musical level, it's way more difficult. On a technical level, it might not be as difficult. Yeah, but on a technical level, on a level, musical level, musical it, level it's right. like yes. I mean, because everything is so exposed. <clears throat> Every intent, every nuance, that, and that's the beauty of it, you know. And that's, you know. But it, again, the, the the key is back to your pedal board. Yeah, which listen. Is listen. Yeah, listen. And, and a lot of it too. I think <laughs> the best the best of times when I play that way, it really is about finding a sound that is, you know, really intriguing and keeps me in that zone. You know, like if the sound is really. Uh, something that really works for me, I, I can get there. I can be in that space, but it's you know it's hard to get into that that space. You, you know, know, if you don't get a sound, that's that's yeah. to me. 
you know, I mean, I have like these three things of music yeah. that I, I try to instill on everybody <coughs> who I work with. And the first one is sound. you got to get a sound. If you don't have a sound, it's like you're just, you're not, everything you play is going to hurt. You're going to wince. You're going to try and dance around it. You're going to play too much. You're going to play not enough. You're, you know, you, all the decisions are bad because yeah. your sound isn't conveying what you want to convey to the world. That's yeah. like that's right away. If that's not happening, work on it. Not just your sound, but just the overall sound of the whole thing. Yeah, how your sound yeah. fits in with the whole thing, yeah. the overall sound of the whole thing. Yeah, it changes with all these things. Yes, that's your voice. I mean, we talk so much about that on this show yeah. about yeah. because we both tour a lot and we both play many many different rooms and and you know how on one show you've got the most acoustic beautiful room and a sound man who's really good and everything just sounds like a cd and you're so happy because it sounds yeah. so good and it's inspiring and you really usually play well and then the next night you're in some like really boomy horrible place and, yeah and the, the crash symbol sounds like you know some kind of death machine yeah <laughs> And, yeah. and you're just like so miserably uncomfortable that there's just no way you can put two decent notes together. Sometimes like, that's the, yeah. the gig that ends up being the best playing because you're struggling so hard to listen that you end up playing <laughs> well. You know, yeah. getting yeah. a sound is like, to me, the, the, the primal thing of playing music. I mean, music yeah. is sound. And yeah. then like the second thing for me is like feel the beat. Can you actually feel... What is happening? And in most guitar players, in my Cannot. opinion, play the beat. They don't feel the beat. Yeah. And that's where they they, they can't leave space yeah. because they don't feel the beat. They have to play the beat in order to control every little beat. And it's yeah. like, you know, and there's lots of ways to practice it. One is just playing simply by just like play a whole note. Yeah. And now you've got to feel the beat because you know yeah. you or. Play a whole note and leave a bar out, then play another one. Or you could be playing yeah. with Virgil Donati and just not know, ever know where the beat is. Or, or, <laughs> and let him fill it all up. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, and because sometimes you don't want to play the beat, you want to play against the beat. Yeah, a lot of times that's where I am uh, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm usually superimposing certain ideas and things on stuff. And it's, uh, you know, that's one of the. The funny things uh, about some of the stuff that I do, like um, my dad, you know, you said quirky was a good description of, of his playing, but mm -hmm. if you take his, his basic rhythm and blues playing, mm -hmm. you know, he, he was inspired by guys like Johnny Guitar Watson and mm -hmm. Clarence Gatemouth Brown and Guitar mm -hmm. Slam and these guys that had an attitude in, in what they did and it wasn't Flash or anything, but it was like there was, you know, Howlin' Wolf, you know, it was right. all personality and like, sure. but it was, uh, they could make a guitar sound mean with barely anything, you right. know, and, and so uh, the simplicity of that kind of stuff, I always loved it, but I, that would be the hardest thing for me to do is to like, is to play specifically in that idiom like just be the hardest way. thing for just about everybody yeah but but is. the but the it challenge is. the challenge uh is uh to take that kind of approach of what that is the simplicity of that and the personality and and that and then try to do that with with other stuff you know so i'm trying to somehow you know in these days uh you know tailor what I'm doing to, to, to be more evocative of that, that kind of concept. Uh, and it, 
it really is a, a, a really hard thing for me to do because I'm trying to get rid of the the patterns and the things that are, are like I could fly my fingers around till I come up with the next good idea, but I'd rather stop that habit and just come up with the next good idea, you know? And so well, it's yeah, like, we all like to filter yeah. our playing to only good shit. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's, that's the challenge is like when you're on tour, yeah. when you're on Man. tour and you purposely, uh, like if I have a, a hundred shows every night, I'm going to try to purposely like, work towards that you know as opposed to just get lazy and say oh, I'm just gonna do this thing because it's easy you know and so you know I've little by little over the last 12 years I've made pretty big improvements on all of those those elements but the uh, it's still you know like I, I have so many ideas of what I love to hear and what I love to do but I just I don't have the time to, to do it you know that's that's the thing. That's what's so crazy about my dad is that he made so much music in the short time that he was on this planet. You know, yeah, I mean, he, did, he made really. over sixty-five albums. He was a prolific guy, <laughs> man. Yeah, there's no doubt yeah. about that. Wow. And uh, uh, I mean, sometimes five albums a year, and this is with like crazy classical orchestrations and mm-hmm. all that stuff. It wasn't three-chord rock tunes, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I look at all that. I'm like, how did he? Well, my my interest, if you don't mind my changing the subject a little bit, Mm -hmm. but following that train of thought, it just, how economically did that all work? Well, the thing was, I mean, uh, you know, you don't have to tell me if you, if like, you know, Warren Buffett was your uncle or something. I don't need to know about that. How did, how, you know, how could he keep recording, putting out all those records, you know, taking the band, it obviously cost him shitloads of money to keep the guys he had together I mean, where's the money? How does this all work? I he mean, ended up being one of the first artists that had his own record label, you know, uh-huh. so he wasn't uh, dealing with major labels who would... I remember when that happened. Yeah, well, one of the yeah. things that he did, which uh, changed the industry, was he had a deal with Warner Brothers, and he didn't like working with them, uh, and it was a five-album deal, so he turned five albums in at once. <laughs> and, he got, and he he got out of the contract, and he ended up having to be sued over it. He won, but it was you know a lot of money spent on that. And then at that point, he was just completely independent. But he owned all of his own masters, which you know artists didn't. Um, the record sales were th- were that strong, so well they, they were consistent. Everything. If he was if he would make five albums in a year, they're not all going to sell a million copies, you know. Right. But he had several records that sold over a million copies, and then he had. You know, records that would uh, be anywhere from twenty thousand to several hundred thousand, but he would put multiple records out a year, and then he would just invest whatever came in from that to be able to go back on tour, and then that would just keep propelling the whole thing. He didn't care about you know having fancy things or whatever. He just wanted to make music, you know, and so that was that was the thing. He found a way to. Uh, keep people employed uh, and at a certain point he didn't want to employ musicians anymore he called them mercenaries because the people that could play his music would try to charge too much money and they right. weren't really into it to be like enjoying the music it was just like i said you know mercenaries right. but uh, so that's when he started using the synclavier and doing mostly computerized programming of uh, his compositions uh, and uh, that's some of the most complex stuff he ever wrote, you know. Uh, but the some of that will do it the right way every time. But well, you know, when you think about the the total amount of fans that your yeah. dad had, I mean, 
I, I consider like him like a major rock star. I mean, I put him up there with Led Zeppelin and all these. I mean, he was extremely popular, right? So he must have had tons of, you know, like work and fans and like tours probably made lots of money, right? Well, he Even, lost money on yeah, all of yeah, them yeah, because he was... Uh, he lost money on tours. Yeah, because... But not on record sales. Like the but records the records had to pay for the, for the tours. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm just wondering how it all... And then but now it's all flipped because you can't make any money on a record unless right. you're Beyonce or one of those giant artists that right. actually sell millions of copies because right. the publishing stream is just dead you yeah. know oh, the record buying public they all get it for free on youtube or spotify yeah you know, well I, I i have to say i i finally did my own record and for jazz i made a lot of money you know way more than i've ever made on a label in my life so yeah I've see the way he's dressed look at that <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 No, i'm just saying <laughs> tiger pelts and did good <laughs> yeah. I did, well i usually have an entourage you know of yeah. women you know walking around yeah. with me and yeah. you know i just left my gold teeth at home yeah. this time in my chains yeah but but you know I, I, what what i have discovered is that is that for an independent guy you don't you know who you know, if, even if you have a little bit of a name, you don't really need a label anymore. They're just glorified secretaries, is all those people are. You can do all this stuff yourself. Just hire a publicist, a good one, and go out and hit the road and play. And, and you know, if people like your music, they'll buy your, your stuff. And maybe, sure, some people are going to steal it, but your fans, they really like you, and they're going to buy it. Well, I think and there's, a, there's a way to do that, too, that uh, some people know about, some people don't, but I, I made a record with uh, Pledge Music, which is a crowdfunding sure. type yeah, of thing, sure. and it works great, you know, because yeah. uh, the people that really want to support musicians and music, they hang out on that site looking right. for projects that they want to be involved in and mm -hmm. and it's not so much that you're asking people to give you money you're saying hey i'm making this record anyway do you want to be in it from the ground up and see yeah. videos of us doing it in the studio do you want you know this yeah. this content that is exclusive and so imagine if that type of thing had existed back when you know the Beatles or Frank Zappa or Jimi Hendrix were making records and you could be a fly on the wall in the studio for that I mean that would have been I would have paid money for that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what this is this is offering people today, uh, which is which is cool, you know. And so that's that's something that that you know I think kids can can get into like a younger band or whatever try to try to do it that way as opposed to sign some 360 deal where the the record company owns your name, image, likeness, and and gets a piece of your touring. They never got that before. Yeah. You know, uh, now it's just ridiculous. I've been involved with labels to the point where they took everything. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, it was stupid. You know, like it just, we never, nobody made any money because it all went to the label. Yeah. And, and, and until I started working with Mike, you know, Mike Varney. Yeah. You know, he's always been really a good guy. Like, like he's one of the, the, the few guys in the label industry that I've ever worked with who is really honest and really tries to get you as much money as he can and he seems to be a really good person but um, still it can't compare to doing it yourself because yeah they charge you a lot of money for stuff that really doesn't cost that much for you to do yourself man I had this project whatever. that I was doing mm -hmm. and I got involved with these these aging record producer guys you know the big the big yeah. guys from yesteryear yeah and you know one of these lunches at like the mondrian hotel or something <laughs> mm -hmm. and they're having this like amazing wine and we're all just sitting there and before we got around to the project we were working on they were just like reminiscing of the old days yeah. you know and uh they were basically the story was was they were they were kind of proud of themselves at how they 
basically ripped off the customer as much as they could while they were ripping off the band as much as they could. You know, yeah. that was this was like their war stories, their pride stories, kind of like yeah. I shot down 50 over yeah. something. So, you know what yeah. I mean? Like that, mm-hmm. like war guys would do. And yeah. they, they, I'm listening to these guys and like, I don't know if they, I guess they forgot that I'm a musician or something, you know, and they're, they're just doing, they're like, it's, it's evil. It sounds like, you know, Adolf yeah. Hitler talking to Mussolini and, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, what the fuck is happening? And I'm listening to this shit and they're just kind of going on, finally comes, I just had to say, you know, and I said, and you guys wonder why you're less popular than Congress. <laughs> <laughs> That sort of screwed up the yeah. project I was doing. Uh, yeah. well, I had you done it. the project, you wouldn't have gotten anything from it anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, I have, a, I have a dumb, unrelated question that I just wonder about. Like, when your dad wrote music, were there odd bars? And, like, in other words, the, the music would change time signatures oh, yeah. from all the time? Yeah. Because you know, Penn, you know uh, who is it? Meshuga. Yeah. You know how crazed they sound. Yeah. And all their music is in 4 4, but it doesn't sound like it. Yeah. Because they told me. Because that's yeah. the only reason I know. Because I asked one of the guys. I said, that stuff sounds like it's a bar nine, bar five, bar this. And they said, no, it's all in 4 4, same as Chick Corea. Yeah. Everything he ever wrote is in 4 4. But it doesn't sound like 4 4 because the they, uh, the accents, the way, yeah. they, the way they arrange the groups of accents. Yeah. But your dad actually did key signature changes. Yeah, and time signature. Time signature. Yeah. And what about key signature changes? Oh, too? sure. I mean, the stuff would uh, would modulate and, and do things. But so I when mean, you write charts, do you actually change keys? Like, in other words, you're in E for a while, then it'll change to another key for a while with a If that's key what signature. the song is, yeah. Like for I don't actually do the that part of the. There's there's a couple people in the band that that can do that stuff really well, and they'll give the band charts and MIDI files and all kinds of stuff, you know, so that everybody can work on it at home because. Typically, we'll have uh, like two or three weeks rehearsal max before a tour, but everybody's doing a lot of work at home beforehand. Right. And like right up until the, the minute that we get on stage. I mean, it's not uncommon for me to be listening to stuff, uh, you know, like five seconds before going on stage just to remember a part, you know, like uh, right. until I get like about five shows in, you know. Sure. But, but yeah, that, that stuff... Uh, the the time signature stuff, um, you know. Let's take a, a, a piece of music called the Black Page. That was a drum solo. <laughs> yeah, it was a drum yeah. solo uh, that Frank wrote just as a challenge for Terry Bozio to play this thing. But then he wrote a melody to it after the fact. And so I always thought that was interesting. You know that the rhythm was so specific with the contour, and you could just enjoy the piece as it was. Mm-hmm. But then the melody is so unique, and it's it's one of the most iconic melodies that that he ever wrote. And when I was learning how to play that on guitar, um, there was some parts that you know just seemed like, how am I even going to play this? This doesn't seem humanly possible. And then I would have to just go from really slow uh, and then build up the speed, and it would take months to to learn something that goes by in a, about a second. You know, so I would be like eight hours, ten hours a day. You know, on something for for weeks and weeks, if not months, for a second of music. You know, yeah. uh, and so that's the kind of stuff that is involved in this. But one of the cool things that came from working on that piece was that um, you know, in my dad's music, there's a lot of different uh, uh, subdivisions that he'll use frequently. 
so groups of five or groups of seven or nine, uh, you know, they'll, they'll appear in certain ways. And five is pretty common, especially if it's two and three. So one, two, one, two, three, 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 that, that kind of uh, phrase. And uh, so I started thinking, well, how can I find a way to put that on the guitar where I can do it without having to think about it and I don't have to think what my right hand's going to do and I said, okay, I'll start with one string at a time. You know, I'll just do uh, that phrase on on one string. So I'll make it two sp separate phrases: one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three. Two separate phrases. And then I said, okay, well that that'll be good. I could I could take that and p make it part of any scale, or I could do it anywhere, and I could repeat it, and I could get the 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 contour that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to think about it, you know. I'm not even really doing anything with my right hand. I just hit the downbeat of each group, you know, one, two, one, two, three, you know. So then I said, well, why don't I try it on two strings? And then that was pretty easy as well, you know. But then I I stumbled on something that was, it was one of those things where you go, why didn't I think of this like 20 years ago? Because this is the, the stupid easiest thing, but it's such a cool element. Uh, and uh, it's best if I probably just pick up a guitar and and show show you what it is because the uh what's cool about it is it's very intervallic don't know if this is in tune enough but so let's say uh you uh, you wanted to use everything in this pentatonic scale you know uh and uh all i'm gonna do is i'm gonna uh, take uh, like make these little enclosures so it's one two so i got a down a downstroke pull off and then up 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 this is not in tune but so so this guitar is out of tune but the the idea there so you have this thing that you can do that's one two one two three one two one two three one two one two three and the the right hand is down stroke down stroke pull off up 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 Mm -hmm. So it, this is on autopilot, and then you can start taking that phrase and do any shape. Mm -hmm. So you can do it anywhere. And so I started looking for all these options for like these modular uh, things that then I could build more on the, the, the rhythm. So I could have that contour, then I could turn it into a 7 or a 9, or I could flip them around, and I can do these things. But it's on autopilot, and I can take any shape, and I can put it through any you know scale or mode or whatever. But it just became like uh, uh, just a rhythmic device. You right. know, it's the right. same as you know what a drummer would be doing if they're going to be improvising. I wanted to find a way to do it where I didn't have to think about what it was. I could think of the rhythm first, and then just try to add notes to it. You know, and that mm. was that became a big part of of uh, my improvisational uh, playing over the last couple of years because I could play slower melodies and then I could start to develop a rhythmic like contour and then tell these little stories and it was never about pre-composed licks anymore it was like mm -hmm. I could take that idea and it would be different every time mm -hmm. at night and don't turn me loose 
in the daytime Cause you know I'll eat everything inside I, I catch myself sometimes doing a nine 
and I don't even realize I'm doing it, but it's it's like da 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 I know it's nine, but I'm not hearing it as nine. It's just a thing. Yeah. Or, or the, the Schofield thing. Schofield did this thing on Star People with Miles Davis, and people have been copying it forever. It's that... You know? Yeah. It's it's that concept of a string skipping... Here, let me show you the guitar. Okay, it's, it's out of tune. That's like, so. no, all right. He's just, he just made a thing of this, and everybody's been doing this ever ever since. And of yeah. course, you can take that rhythm and just do it anywhere and do right. it where with whatever notes you do it. But I think the first time I ever heard that was Schofield. He sort of came up with that thing on Star People. Yeah. And and countless guitar players have been copying it. You know that. <laughs> you know they do it in a diminished scale yeah. and a whatever scale. <laughs> and then of course John McLaughlin. Yeah. Did your dad like Mob Orchestra? Yeah, they actually played some shows where they flip flop who opened. Uh, Isn't that you know, cool? So it, that would have been a cool the time. The real Mob Orchestra yeah. was Cobham and Jan Hammer. Yeah, yeah. Because that's one of my favorite bands. Yeah. You know, from, from the old school fusion, yeah. they're kind of to me like the Bible of of heavy fusion. Like not that, not Weather Report, which yeah. was you know, Weather Report was more of like a combination of jazz and R and B. Yeah. You know, and funk or whatever. But but you know, Ma Vishnu was a combination of I some Indian music, but basically yeah. heavy metal, r hardcore rock and roll with yeah. with jazz influences. And and uh, I'm sure your dad had to like those guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but he definitely. Uh, you know, they they played some shows, and I yeah. I got to meet um, John and talk to him about that a little bit. Uh -huh. You know, so, but yeah, I mean. The, there's so many things you can do with the guitar. That's why we all love it. You know, it's like yeah. your hands uh, give it the the personality, and we could all play on the same sound, and it wouldn't we wouldn't sound like each other, and all of these things. But the the one thing that the guitar does that no other instrument really does is that because you can bend notes and you can have vibrato, that's like where the real personality of the individual the comes to play. Thing. You know, and that's yeah. that's kind of like the, the coolest thing about it, <coughs> I think, you know, is that you can just, anybody, you know, like it's, it's weird to think that guitars are becoming less and less popular and that, uh, that, music schools are teaching people how to become DJs, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, it's I'm like, actually glad. It's less competition. Yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, I just find it like, you know, for the younger generations that, yeah. that just don't respect the history of, of music and whatever, you know, because I've, I've heard all kinds of stories from friends of mine that, you know, are teachers and work with music students or... or you know, or a good example of, uh, of, you know, we were talking about TJ earlier. He told me a story about how he had some students at the recording school, you know, came in and these two guys that pointed to a drum kit said, dude, look at that. It's what they used to use to make drum beats, <laughs> you know? And it's just like, that's the future that's awesome, right man. there. It's so, it's so pathetic. That, that's so you funny. Know, and, yet, and yet there is a real resurgence back to acoustic. Yeah, uh, there is. There really is a huge um, with with younger people. Yeah, I've just noticed, like a 
much bigger preponderance for people. And I think it's like even like more acoustic guitars are being sold than electric guitars for like the first time in 50 years. Or yeah, something. well, there's definitely uh, you know, and, and that I think style with the percussive thing. That a and lot of there's, people there's, there's really that finger crazy. style. There's, yeah. of course, a lot of people re-getting re in roots music. Yeah. And there's a lot of people getting back into swing. Yeah. You know, that's a resurgence in that. You know, of course, you know, and then just the singer-songwriters. Yeah, all of those. So you yeah. you kind of put all that, and it and it's a beautiful thing because that's like, you know, that's that's real pure sound production. Yeah, you, know, you get the electricity out of it. Yeah. So um, you know, there. I mean, God, who knows where the world's going to go? We just got to kind of do our hey, thing. Did your dad ever listen to Gentle Giant or any of those bands? Um, I don't think he listened to too much. Uh, uh, didn't um, have time to. Uh, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, busy I think writing. I think most of the stuff that he really liked was like um, different music from uh, different ethnic music, like Turkish or Arabic or right. Bulgarian or different things that um, you know. Because like if you really listen to some of that Turkish stuff or Bulgarian stuff, mm -hmm. some of the the rhythms in Bulgarian that stuff, women's choir. Is oh no, I heard a lot of those. I mean, yeah. I always noticed stuff. those influences in your father's yeah. music. Yeah, I mean, I was it was very aware of. Okay, there was a lot of that. Yeah, there, you know. Well, he he loved that kind of stuff, um, and. Uh, also, there's that book that Nicholas Slanimsky wrote. The, oh, yeah, the, the patterns for of, scales. You know, melodic yeah, yeah, scales and yeah. patterns. And uh, a few of those, um, you can hear some of that stuff uh, in my dad's music. I remember, remember Nicholas came to the house a couple times, and he even played on stage with my dad at the Santa Monica Civic in 1982, I think it was. Wow, oh, that's cool. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was just a fascinating guy, and, like, so amazingly uh, well-spoken and the, the way that he describes stuff is just like you know in that book it's it's just a, it's such a, a bygone era you know it's just like uh, so respectful but like so scientific about oh, yeah, the, it's the, the stuff ultimate of nerdity yeah, yeah i mean it's it's incredible <laughs> what's, what's the book it's called the thesaurus of scales and melodic patterns yeah and he starts off just simply you know with a tritone splitting the octave in two and then he has all these things like interpolation interpolation yeah. and yeah. ultra and, and he like which are basically enclosures of those notes really yeah. is what he means by it and he'll take he'll make, create all these permutations of that pat of that you know until it works into like the next he'll split the octave and you know which is obviously the diminished scale and then he'll split the you know it's in the whole tone scale and then he'll like and he'll do all these things to these enclosures and these you know working from below working from above creating all these patterns basically it's like everything you can do in the key of C. Right. Yeah, but right? the thing right? is... Yeah, it's mathematically and divided. And it's like about this thing. It's yeah. this thing. Yeah. I, I even, you know, I give it to people as a gift, and I usually write like a big triplet at the end, you know, and describe and I write, now and do it in D-flat. Yeah. Okay, boys, up funny. a half step. Yeah, <laughs> There's some really so. cool stuff in it. I actually, oh, yeah. uh, because I can't read that stuff, I had somebody take pieces of it and make a MIDI file for me so oh, I could cool. listen to it and uh, and and get something out of it. But it's I've written tunes from some of those exercises. Yeah, yeah. it's really cool. Yeah. When do, do do you have a process um, like when you get up in the morning? Are you one of the guys that you grab your coffee, you grab your guitar, and you sit there and do it? Do you have a normal, regular routine that you do? I don't, because, you know, when I'm not on <laughs> tour uh, and I'm spending time with my wife and kids, I won't even touch a guitar for months. I yeah. mean, I wouldn't, wow. I, I won't even pick it up. I just don't have no time. Yep. I have no real, it's only when I have to go on tour 
And my dad was the same way. He might not play guitar for six months or a year or more. And if he had to go on tour, he'd, he'd work his calluses back up. But he, he wasn't playing the hard parts that he wrote. He would just play solos, right. you know. So, I mean, he didn't, he didn't really have to do... Like, I have to try to keep this stuff memorized and play the hard parts and all that stuff. So I, I do really struggle to uh, to keep up with things. Uh, you, before I had kids, I would play all the time. I'd play eight, ten hours a day, keep things going and keep learning stuff and and whatever but you know now it's really hard yeah you know? so i had a similar problem man not because of the kids because my, my i only have one so she doesn't and she doesn't really want to spend time with me anyway <laughs> she'd rather do things with her friends now you know mm -hmm. but but um you know that whole balancing act where you know, you have to go into a different mode with your life. Like you, maybe yeah. you need to write or maybe you yeah. need to do something else. It, it doesn't really have anything to do with practicing anymore. And then, Jesus, do you ever get rusty? Like, because I spend sometimes just taking maybe a month to yeah. write, you know, or two months to yeah. write. And man, and I, even though I've got the guitar in my hand when I'm writing, I'm not playing. Yeah. Just, just using it as a writing tool. And then, man, that third month when I say, okay, now it's time to get my chops back up. And it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Where'd my chop go? Where'd yeah. my chop? I used to have this yeah. chop. Now it's well, completely and, 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 gone. You know, and you're a young guy, but <laughs> you used to practice to get better. Yeah. Now I practice to keep from getting worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I feel so clunky and ham-fisted when I start coming back and trying to get that thing back again. Yeah. That it's just like I, all my coordination just goes away. It is. It is a weird. Hard, it is a weird it is, part of it. Yeah. It's just a connection too. Mm. I mean, it's just like anything, like a dancing partner. You know, you just, you know, when you're playing every day and you're playing a lot, you just connect and it, and the, and to make that connection happen. Boom! Instantaneously, it's just in your hands. You know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, I never am without. I mean, I don't do what you guys do. Yeah, I can't. Rec maybe once a while, a week will go by where I don't play. Yeah. But when my mom died and I had to take care of her and stuff, yeah. there was a couple of. But generally, I mean, I'm always working. I work all the time. You know, I don't do tours like you do. I kind of play gigs. Yeah. So, got lots of projects going. I'm always teaching, and I think teaching is really about. Playing, not about yeah, that's yeah. the one thing that keeps my chops up is I have to go teach the kids. Yeah, so I have to play, and that's well, a you good don't thing have to. You teaching. could just talk to them and tell I them know. what to do. But I think teaching music no, I is play about playing. Them. I yeah. play. Yeah. So in I mean, fact, I just let them listen to me play. Right. <laughs> like here, here's your lesson for today. Turn on your tape do recorder. This. I'm gonna play for four hours, and you record me and go out and transcribe. <laughs> well, you know, or just you know, God, I mean, I can remember. <laughs> I listen, you know, I would listen to all these great jazz players, you know, and then bands that I knew, and, and I, the one was Bobby Hutcherson. I heard that band all those years, and and I got to play with them. And I mean, I knew all their tunes. I mean, I sat yeah. in, I was there. I could do every, the whole, all the arrangements. I, I don't, even though there wasn't a guitar in the band, I knew what the guitar part would be, you know. Yeah. I could double this, double that. And uh, I sat down and played with them, and I'd been listening to them for years. And what I felt on that bandstand was something, I mean, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. A whole new level of experiencing what they were doing Yeah. to be inside it versus yeah. listen yeah. to it. And that's, as teachers, you know, by playing with you or playing with us, they get it. You know, I mean, you don't even have to talk about it. They, mm. they feel it. All of a sudden, all mm. that listening 
it just changes. It has different meaning because you're in it. Yeah, I, I know you guys have both been teaching for a long time. I have not been doing that much teaching for that long, but I, in the last couple of years, I, I've had my own little uh, camp that I put together that is a oh, cool. three-day total immersion thing that's called Dwizilla. Oh, you know, that's uh, great, yeah. man. And I, I've, got, uh, I've got another one that's coming up this summer, uh, July 24th through the 28th, but the... Uh, the thing that uh, I've found is, you know, when we did the first couple, uh, we were wanting to share as much information as we could because, you know, that's kind of what you just expect that people are going to want to do. But also as a musician, like, oh, there's so many things I can help you. Like, you know, here's some shortcuts to right, get to right. the good stuff, you know. And it, it turns out that uh, people... Uh, like their heads just explode after about 30 minutes and they can't retain any of the information so I've dialed it back so that like this year the main focus is exactly what you're just talking about we're just putting people in the position to play with the band it's like you're, we're not going to sit here and talk about arpeggios or this that or the other I mean, there'll be a tiny bit of some of that what we're going to talk about is how do you play in an ensemble what's your role how do you, you know, let's let's see if you can, you know, really They'll go learn that. that stuff, man. Yeah. Once you get them on fire, really doing it, yeah. they'll do all that work. Yeah. They're going to be calling you up in the middle of the night wanting <sighs> to know what to do. You know what yeah. I mean? And that's when it's mm -hmm. good because they want it. Yeah. They just got to be playing first. That's it's, what I just yeah. did at my daughter's school. They had yeah. actually a, a, a fusion band, a, oh, yeah. a fusion class. That's hilarious. Which, it's just amazing, you know. Yeah. And, 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 you know, they have their own teacher to teach them all the scales and all yeah. the things, the chord tones and stuff. You know, the nuts and bolts of how to do it, you know. Yeah. And then they wanted me to come in and guys like me to come in just to critique their playing. Like, in other words, they're yeah. a band, play, what do you hear that we need to improve? And, I, and, and, and there was a lot. And I was like, yeah. well, first of all, you're way too loud and you're drowning everybody out, so you need to turn down. And I can't even hear you. So yeah. it's like, huh? Yeah. So you got to balance yourself first. And then stuff like, you know, the drummer. It was really funny that, you know, it was a little good little drummer, a girl. Yeah. And, and, and she was actually good. But, you know, there were like five soloists and she played the exact same beat for all five soloists. And I thought, yeah. well, you know, what about changing it up a little bit? Maybe a ride cymbal for this guy back on the hi-hat for him. A little bit of a funky beat for yeah. him. And, you know, just so every single solo didn't have the exact same beat. Yeah. But that, just that kind of ensemble stuff. And I really enjoy yeah. teaching that, and Bruce does too, you know, because it's not so dry. Yeah. It's more, it has more of a personality, and it's fun because it's more personal. It's it's not just the doling out of information yeah. like a classroom teacher does with his chalk and his blackboard. Yeah. You know, which is a lot more fun to teach people that, you know. Yeah, I mean, that leads me to another segue if you don't mind, which is just, yeah, I mean, it's great that you're doing your dad's stuff and everything, and now I know you're doing a camp. What mm -hmm. else are you doing besides that? Well, and raising kids. Yeah, I mean, I uh, hopefully next year I'll have um, a dedicated space to do some recording. I've been without a, a space to do anything um, for a while, so I haven't put a lot of focus on uh, writing and recording my own stuff. I did a record for the first time in 10 years about uh, a little over a year ago and I put it out and I, I would like to continue to do more of my own music. Mm -hmm. uh, but the thing 
is I, I literally have to look at a calendar and like block out time to, to do it, you know, otherwise it'll just never happen, you know. And, and when I made the last record, you know, I looked at it uh, about probably 10 months in advance and uh, like two days before I was actually supposed to start the record is when I got to start writing. You know, wow. so it was like, you know, I, yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, so I had to, I had to like take things that I had from ten years ago or twenty years ago and uh, use some of those things and and uh, reorchestrate and and change some stuff. But one of the things that was really fun, and one of the first things I recorded was. I got some weird uh, message from somebody that works with John Malkovich that said, hey, do you want to do a song with John Malkovich, the actor? I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I never met John. I still even to this day, after even doing the song, have never met John Malkovich. But the thing that uh, was funny was he did a record where he said, uh, okay, I'm going to record myself uh, just uh, narrating the the allegory of the cave by Plato, you know, and uh, they just gave several people this recording of John Malkovich doing that, and they said, "Your job is to do whatever you want with it." Right. You know, and so they we all got the same thing from John Malkovich, but everybody's piece of music was totally different, you know, and so this thing is so absurd sounding, you know, the, the story that he's, he's telling. So I just said, I'm going to make the chorus be, uh, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, so it's like Malkovich, 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 what the fuck are you talking about? And, uh, so, uh, but I got this, this thing from him. And, uh, uh, so I wrote the piece of music and recorded the whole thing all in one day, recorded, wrote, recorded, and mixed the whole thing in like 10 hours, you know? So that was one of the things. And I hadn't written anything for years. So I, uh, it was a fun process to just like say, okay, here's this, I'll just come up with a little riff. You know, I got the guys here. All right, it goes like this, let's record it, you know, like the, the piece do you, of- Do you do the mixing yourself? I do. Uh, I, on this record, uh, I had a bunch of different people mix some <coughs> stuff, but, I find that uh, you know I always am second guessing what I could do, and I said, okay, on this record because I hadn't made one in a while, let me see if I can get some like really top-notch guys that are uh, you know, and let's make this record sound you know, let's just do all this stuff, and you know, it turned out great, but I feel like uh, I could do it and get the the result that I want on my own and right. not have to go through that. I learned some some cool stuff, and I got to work with some great people. Uh, I was did TJ get, one of those guys? No, not on this record. But I, I got to work with Jeff Emmerich, who recorded the Beatles and uh-huh. a bunch wow. of stuff. And so I did some string section uh, stuff and some horns and some things that he he recorded, uh, you know, for me on on there. And but the these days, you know, I think it's really important to to know every aspect of you know because to me, when I hear a record. The personality of the recording is part of the song, you know, it's not just the song, it's like the sound and everything. And that was the case with my dad's records, you know, they have very, very specific choices for, for the arrangement and the sound of the records. So, you know, when I have a space to, to really dive into that, I'm going to have fun, you know. I think one of the first things I'll do once it's all set up is I'll take several songs from different genres, things that I like, and then I'll, I'll pick them apart and recreate them in my space so I can So you're see. building a studio in your house. Yeah, That's, yeah. So I mean, I got a friend who lives on your block, and 
and you probably know him, so he was telling me that your house is under complete yeah, renovation. Yeah, yeah. So you're building a studio area. Well, uh, I'm not really building a... I'm building a rec room is what I'm okay. building. Yeah. Yeah, it, <laughs> it'll have studio equipment in it. It may. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, you know, because uh, this is how things go in, in, in California. But, uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll have it. Uh, okay, I won't tell anybody. Yeah. Never mind, I get it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. um, 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 when did you meet TJ and how did you meet him? Who, who introduced you to TJ? Uh, you know, it was one of those internet things where I, um, I was working on a record at the time and I was looking for um, some help with some stuff in the studio and I had heard some stuff that he had worked on. Uh-huh. And I uh, heard he was a teacher at, uh, at MI, so I, uh, I found a way to get a hold of him. Uh, and with the internet, you know, you can stumble on something and like, reach out to that person and get a, a reply within minutes, you know, uh-huh. sometimes. And so it's just a weird, it was one of those things where I found out how to reach him and then um, uh, just got in touch with him and then we started working on some stuff and you've heard him play guitar right yeah he played on on uh he's thing a on the sick record guitar and, player yeah and it's like, all the two-hand you know stuff. i did a record called dog party it's just a blues record yeah. and we have this song called too many guitars yeah and and steve trovato and like a bunch of people played just one chorus of you know I think it was this guy Willie Scoggins and then Steve and then Keith Wyatt played yeah. and then I played and then TJ played and and the joke was it's pretty bad when your engineer outplays everybody <laughs> that everybody else on the record because he had the last solo when he did yeah. all that crazy yeah. shit it was just like made us look like a bunch of amateurs it got all progressively <laughs> you know sped it up just, yeah and then like he comes on there and it's like what the fuck yeah. I uh, I have a record that I've been I started it over twenty years ago. It's called "What the Hell Was I Thinking?" and it's a, it's a continuous piece of music that's seventy five minutes long, and it changes uh, styles and uh, the production uh, timbre of instrumentation and everything moment to moment. It's best described as an audio movie. You know, it's, it's uh-huh. just like different scenes and different locations, but. There's all these different guitarists that, that are on. There's like 40 different guitar players on there. Oh, so cool. I've got like, That's there's cool. Eddie Van Halen, Brian May, Angus Mal- Malcolm Young, wow. uh, Steve Vai, Steve Morris, uh, Robin Ford, Brian Setzer, uh, Steve Lukather. I mean, there's like, That's there's, so a, cool. there's a ton of guys. Wow. But what's, what's, you know, if you imagine if you were watching a Hollywood movie, <laughs> And all of the people in the background were also famous actors. Like oh. it'd be like Stallone and and you know Schwarzenegger <laughs> and Brad Pitt and whatever. And they're like everybody's in the scene, you know. Oh, that's it's fun. like they all just sort of come to the forefront at different times and start spilling out of the speakers, you know. And uh, but the music is is just very um, eclectic and it it all morphs and changes, you know. So the whole thing is it's supposed to be like this sort of three-dimensional. I, I think I'm going to, eventually, when I do finish it, uh, I'm going to do it in surround sound and, oh, and that'd be the cool. whole yeah, thing that'd be and just have, have it all be <coughs> these, be these cool things. But originally, when I started it, it had some of my dad's music in it, uh, and I don't have to do that now because I've been playing my dad's music for 12 years, so I have, I have to re-orchestrate some of the, the sections. But it, it, it stopped. Uh, I stopped working on it for a while just because uh, when I started originally, one of the things that happened was we were doing it on analog tape and we were on the bigger reels and when it got to the uh, end of the reel 
there would be this minuscule uh, uh, speeding up of the of the oh, tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. so as it was recording, it was changing the pitch of stuff. So when you got <laughs> to like, okay, now I got an overdub on this, you can't uh, you because can't. it's going out of tune all the time. Oh, so funny. a bunch of stuff got messed up, and then. Um, you know, then it got messed up when it went to digital. There was another problem, so I, it got plagued by some technical problems for for a while. Oh. And uh, you know, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get back to it uh, when I when I have a chance to. Uh, and so that'll be you know a cool record because it's all these different guitar players and all these different styles and. Did did uh, you know. did these guys get to come in, or you sent them stuff? And no, I did. I did sessions with everybody. Really? Yeah, and it, there was funny stuff that happened. Like when I I went to London and recorded Brian May, and uh, you know it's got all the orchestrated stuff where he you know harmonizes a bunch of things, but the part was in five. That, right. You know, and he was like, oh, I can't play in five. You know, he was he was like having a hard time like hearing me. hearing this this thing and. And so he would take these breaks, you know, and he, and he, uh, I remember he was saying, uh, I can only play out of joy or sadness, you know. <laughs> so, so he would take these breaks, have some tea and like play a couple notes and take another break. And uh, it was just uh, a totally different experience than what I expected. Sounds you know? like something Carlos Santana would say. <laughs> yeah. I can only play blue or orange. Yeah, but one of the... I can only play for money or for free. Yeah. <laughs> The the uh, the antithesis of it was this amazing guitarist producer guy named John Bryan, who's uh, oh John yeah I'm yeah sure. he's an amazing uh, musician, uh, but he came in and he played uh, a layered thing which had acoustic and baritone and uh, some things. I just had a bunch of guitars sitting around and and uh, I said you can use any of these. I'll just use them all, you know. So <laughs> he he came up with a part uh, and everything sort of like uh, dovetails, uh, but he. But he just did it all on the spot, and everything was one take. Wow. Uh, and so he was mm -hmm. like, he was one of those guys that you just go, "Wow, I wish I could do that," you know? Because mm -hmm. he just every single thing perfect and was done in like fifteen minutes. Did you, you know? was, working with all these amazing guitarists and and getting to you know be there while they record? Was there something that you noticed that was throughout that you, that was similar or familiar with a lot of them? There's some people that are just naturally are excellent and just do like John Bryan, like every part, <clears throat> continuous flowing, just a perfect. Effortless. Yeah. Right. Angus Young, seven solos, all different, all start to finish, perfect. Like you would take any of them. Wow. I just made him record a bunch so I would be able to listen to him again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, Joe Walsh came in, uh. one take, slide, one take, talk box, done you know great it was perfect um and then you have other people that like have to punch in a lot and you know get in their head and um and you know uh it's it's just i think the the people that um have a really defined sense of their their style and that are really comfortable and they just do their thing yeah you just turn it on. You're, it's your job to just capture them, you know, like, uh, and other people slave over it and try to, you know, yep. they, it, it becomes more of a technique thing or, or I'm something. I'm one of those guys, but it's not about technique. It's just about hating everything I play. Yeah. Cause, but cause can you get through a full take and then listen never, to it? 
Not once. No. No. Every <laughs> but on solo, stage you can. Well, on stage I can <laughs> because it's, a, it's yeah. I have to. Yeah. There's no, you, you can't. Don't have a choice. Yeah. But when you know, you studio, ought to think about you know, that. I'm, I'm at, sure people would enjoy you stopping and starting. And yeah, just, uh, yeah. Just yeah. Just. would probably me, we're gonna, the guy stop. I'm gonna yeah. punch in this note here. Yeah. No, no you know when I when I play when I play. Um, that be a cool thing. When I play I'd like um, to watch that. Um, solos in the studio. Yeah. I never stop. Yeah. I play from beginning to the end. I never stop and I never punch in. Yeah. Never ever. So so because I hate the sound of punching in. Because when you punch when I when I punch in, my time is not the same as when I'm just yeah. playing, right? Yeah. But what I do do is I record about 25 solos and I wait about a yeah. week and I pick the best one that has the best feeling and the most consistent good ideas that fits with the whatever you know what i mean mm -hmm. and then when there's a shit moment i cut it out and that's i find a moment from another solo that's yeah. really good that fits in there and that takes a lot of editing and time yeah. Yeah. you know do and you edit it yourself or you have somebody else no i do it i mean I, it's, it's yeah. like i have like 25 solos there yeah. on the screen yeah and i find you because you, you can see the waveform yeah. And you say, okay, I see that waveform. You cut that. That'll fit in this space. <laughs> and yeah. just see what it sounds like. And if it sounds great, and if it flows with whatever I played before and after it, I'll use it. And if it yeah. doesn't, you know, because yeah. of course, just yeah. because... Just because it's the right length doesn't mean it's gonna work. Yeah. You might have to you might have to audition twenty things until you yeah. find one thing that really fits and feels like. Do you ever take something good, and then also you know? just shift it and where it, it's playing completely from a different part of the song I have yeah, yeah. I have yeah. but you know hopefully I don't have to do that too much hopefully mm -hmm. there's one solo in there that I don't really have to fuck with but yeah. I'm the kind of player and I think a lot of, of us are like this is that you have a time span of where you can play good until you play something that's shitty so yeah. I I can usually play for about 30 seconds and then I'm bound to play something mm -hmm. that sucks so mm -hmm. There you go. So I've got yeah. to replace that little thing, and then I go back, and then I can play thirty seconds of great shit. And I know exactly what you're saying. Again. Yeah. So it's just, it, but that's, that's it, me. There's, and I, I feel the same way. You know, in the studio, uh, on stage, you know, uh, you could be on on one night and be like, you know, there, there's, there's times when if I'm listening to shows, uh, I can tell just from the first few seconds of the first solo, like this whole show will be good. You know, because it uh, like it, it already sounds like I'm yeah. in a zone, and then there's the, the opposite. First few seconds of a solo, and I know that every solo is not going to be good in, in the thing. And it's uh, but there's I like when I when you can find stuff where you're in the zone that way. Live, you don't have the option of of no, you know, that's second theater. guessing stuff. Making you know? a record is like making a movie. You can do as yeah. many takes as you that, want. Right, or, or you know, there's two ways to look at a movie. You know, I mean, uh, you can look at, like the way you make a record is like yeah. a movie. You know, yeah. the way you make, I mean, the way to me I make a movie is more like a, a photograph. Yeah. I mean, it's just like live. Yeah. We just play live. Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, I play, I like to be in the room with all the guys and that obviously that's means great. that that means that you gotta play mis my mistake ended up everywhere you know <laughs> you can't erase it you know yeah and I mean, there's some certain editing things you can kind of get away with nowadays. you can you can fix that stuff now a little bit i mean mm -hmm. not but you, you know what i mean but uh, i just i have a whole different concept of it you know and I, I actually wish i had the luxury of making a couple movies i think i'd yeah. i'd make a decent one but i've never it's like it's always just 
conceive the music, play the music, and put it done. out. Well, just like are, a gig. I've yeah. got I've got records like that that are. I know gigs. you do. They're yeah. just gigs. I mean, I have a live record, and then I have like the record that I did with Steve Smith and Victor Wooten. There's no overdubbing, and there's no yeah. second chance on that. It's tape. You yeah. play it, and whatever you played, that's it. It's done. So. You know, it's, it's not like I don't have those, but I don't prefer to do them because I just sort of feel like if I have the gear and I have the opportunity to fix my shit, I'll, I'll, I'd rather fix it than not fix it. So, yeah. duh. But, uh, you know, I'd like to think that at one point, uh, plus I have a, a nervous being. I am a nervous person. Like, like you know, like I go on stage and I'm a little bit nervous. And, and, and one of my things live, and I'm, probably you do the same thing a lot of people do the thing I know Bruce does is we get a feeling and a rapport going with the audience to, to feel like they're on our side and that they yeah. like us as people you know yeah. so like if I'm up in a I, I had a horrible gig on the road this last time because I, I I fucked up I we went into an opera theater you know it was one of those round opera theater Italy things it's pitch black I'm looking out into the audience I can't see a single face because it's dark yeah. And I should have just said to the house guy, turn up the lights on the audience. We want to see these people and find somebody that's having a great time and have a great time too. But instead, I got dark. And I was like, oh shit, I can't see anybody. You know, Maybe I forgot that I have a microphone that I could just ask him to turn the lights on. And I just went dark. I went, oh God. And you know how when people are sitting in the most comfortable seats, yeah. they don't clap. They're just... Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Right, because it's not like a club where people yeah. are partying. They're in a theater seat. And they're like going, yeah, oh god. Right, so 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 you know, and plus it's pitch black, and I'm just like, you think you're dying? You you're think dying. you're dying? Yeah, you're you, dying. You think it's going you. down the toilet, right. and, and the you can't is, grab the room. Right, and psychologically, <laughs> it goes down the crapper, and you play yeah. horrible all night long, and it's only because. of Stupidity of just not saying, "Hey, light guy, turn up the lights." We want and to then see, they give you a standing little, ovation. Let's let's end. let's make this a party. You know, yeah. tell jokes, mm -hmm. have a good time, and then all of a sudden, it's like you feel like they're on your side and you can do no wrong, and you're playing your ass off. Yeah, it's such a big part of it—the confidence. Yeah, the confidence. And there's and the there's fun always level. a chance yeah. to uh, to reinforce reinforce the positive, even after you've made a mistake like there's plenty of times where if we're playing something that's really hard and we mess it up you know i'll stop it and we'll just start and play it again <laughs> i was yeah. going to ask you that that's earlier. really cool that's yeah. you really guys cool. ever have have you ever had like serious train wreck we've never just, had a complete where, train where wreck to just stop no we've never had <laughs> one they of those said they just they stop I, if you somebody but a train wreck yeah we, we've never had it where it's like everybody goes to the wrong part or whatever yeah. but we've had things where it's like you know it, it if the music is suffering too much, you know, it, it needs to be stopped and then you, you, you don't power through it and go, man, let's just like say, yeah. you know, that song was the sacrificial lamb, you know, yeah. like we, we stop and we care about it and we say, let's do it better, you know, and so, yeah. and I have no problem just, you know, making a joke about it and saying, hey, let's do that better now, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And because, uh, I mean, it's the human side of it, you yeah. know, and, uh, and my dad would do it too. If uh, there's a funny thing on one of the records where, he counts off the song Montana, and it's uh, it's got a really fast um, snare fill thing uh, at, in the beginning, and it was too fast for Ruth, who was doing the um, the percussion at the time, 
uh, on this thing, and so it was a little sloppy. And he goes, uh, so let's do that again." You know, he counts it off, same tempo, and then uh, you know, same problem. And you hear her go, "It's too fast," and he goes, "It's too fast." One. <laughs> two, three, four, and then they do it so fucking slow, you know, and, then, and he stays at that tempo the whole time, That's you know, great. so it's just like, you know, it's, it's that kind of stuff where the audience gets to see something in that night that they wouldn't see otherwise. Which, which is my third thing. Mm-hmm. We just hit my third thing. I know I gave you, I gave the first two, which is get a sound and feel the beat. Yeah. The third thing is make something happen. Yeah. Every night, every moment of your day, you pick those things up. You're, you got to invest in what you're doing. Totally. And you have to be not where you want to be, but where you are. Mm-hmm. Not where you think you should be, but where yeah. you are. And you have to own it to make something out of it. And if it's to make fun of it, if it's to beat it into the ground, whatever it is, that's... Yeah. that's I mean, and so much... Of music today seems to me, to me personally, seems to be void of that element. There is that lack of spontaneity. Stoicism, you know? intellectualism, mm-hmm. nerdism. What's stoicism? What's stoicism. <laughs> what does that mean? It's like being stoic, uh, being very, you know, like not really? showing your emotions. Oh, oh, oh. Very serious. Yeah, yeah. Very serious. You know, yeah. but the thing, uh, you know, like some of the stuff that we do sometimes too is. Uh, you know, and my dad would do it all the time. Uh, is if something is funny that's happening on the road, you know, certain things get interjected into a song. You know, like you're trying to make people in the band have a good time and laugh and see if you can, you know, yeah. bust them up on yeah. something. And and so there's there's always that kind of folklore stuff that that creeps in on a tour. And so we have a fun time, and the music is really fun and challenging. But we we do really enjoy it. Um, and you know, with all the craziness that, that happens, like, you know, I, I have a, a battle going on with my family who's trying to stop me from playing the music and all this stuff because they want to they want to have money from everything that I do while they sit and do nothing. Oh, you mean, you know, you're, you're, you're your brothers and sisters. Right. And is your mother still alive? No. Uh-uh. And so she's the main reason why there's a problem with this. So it's this. a little she bit like she the Hendrix Foundation type of thing? Well, it, you, know, I, you know, for example, right now, uh, the, the two younger siblings who got put in charge of running the Zappa Family Trust, they're uh, trying to get uh, a trademark for the name Zappa in the field of live music and entertainment so that they could block me from using my own last name to promote or appear as Dweezil Zappa. Why do they Zappa? have a problem with you doing what you're doing? Because they want to get money from it. So, so, so oh, oh you mean for the Zappa, for your dad's tribute stuff? No, they want to be able to say, we own the exclusive rights even to the if you're doing, Even if you're doing like your my music. own music. But are they musicians? Bullshit. No. That's bullshit. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's, it's a lot to go that's, into, but my point is I, I, have, I have to fight this uh, trademark thing, and I just had to do like nine hours of depositions and all this stuff. Oh, man. And it's like, you know, it's From a lot of... own brothers? Yeah, brother and sister. Why are they being such dicks? You'd have to ask them, but well, I will. Yeah, God damn yeah. it! But, the, <laughs> but the, there's, there's a lot of people that are really annoyed. I actually started a pledge music campaign to create music for people to get uh, that would, in turn, help me have to pay for the legal, legal battle. Fees. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry you're having to go. Oh, through man, that. that's but that's, but it's like my point is, I only bring it up because uh, 
when I play the music, I really enjoy it, and I love it, and I know that you know people are happy uh, when they get to hear it and all that stuff. And and even with all this other drama that's happening, that that's not going to change my love of the music, you know. And so now, that's, if Dweezil, if people wanted to to help and get get behind what you're doing there mm -hmm. and, and that whole thing, because I did see some of that on Facebook and stuff. Yeah. How do they get involved? How do they help? It's Where called, do they go? Uh, you go to pledgemusic.com, right? And then you. No, sure. I'm just no, off. Still it's moving. Just, it's still moving. Okay. We're good. I just want to make sure. Yeah, no, no we're still here. Anymore. Sometimes yeah. it decides just yeah. to start by itself, <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. we say, "Troy, you know, your your recording stopped about a half an hour ago," and he goes, "Don't." <laughs> that was yeah. all the so best. Go ahead, no, it's all good. So, so pledge yeah. music. So, yeah, you go to pledgemusic.com, and then you look up Dweezil Zappa and the Others of Intention, mm -hmm. which sounds like Mothers, Mothers of, of Invention, of but it's Others of Intention. Yep. And then uh, you can see what kind of items might appeal to you, and you can uh, buy a record or a T-shirt or or whatever, and that helps uh, uh, you know defend the name my father gave me. You know, it's like it's ridiculous to be put into position to have to. Uh, There we go, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, another Guitar Wake episode has come to an end. And we'd like to say a big thanks to Dweezil. We'll be uh, coming back Monday for our final finale session with Dweezil. And we'll finish off that uh, that whole hang session. I mean, can you believe the bullshit you've got to go through? I mean, it's his own name. I can't even... It just blows my name. It blows my name. <laughs> blows my mind that he has to defend the right to use his father's name, which is his name. Ah, oh, the world is so fucked up! Damn, my head's going to explode. So, you know, if you feel compelled to get behind what Dweezil's uh, fighting for and, you know, support the man, what he's doing, go to pledgemusic.com really get behind him and uh, maybe let him know that you listen to Guitar Wank and you're supporting what he's doing and he's just a good bloke he's trying to keep his father's music alive and get it out there and share it with the world and you've got bullshit like that you got to deal with oh, oh my god it makes me mad uh, so big thanks to Dweezil thanks to Bruce thanks to Scott we'll see you guys on Monday have a big fantastic safe week and weekend and we will talk to you next week on another guitar wank podcast keep the emails coming the donations guitar wank t-shirts and mugs go there guitarwank at gmail.com send us your thoughts we'd love to hear from you guys thanks again be safe keep guitar wanking and we'll see you all next week